Hi, and welcome to the Persons of Lived Experience podcast, uh, inspiring stories for unprecedented times with Dixie and Zona. I didn't even get a childhood. You know, that was, you know, um, took from me, you know, so... Um, and I didn't really understand why it happened. I asked him why, and he gave me the answer um, because he wanted to. Mm-hmm. That was his answer. But um, I, I, I was so afraid because, I mean, he threatened my life. This podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take precautions for yourself. Thank you. I'm Dixie. Um, I'm all about joy, justice, and fair trade fashion. Um, I am an anti-trafficking advocate, mom of many, and passionate worshiper. And I am Zona. I am a writer, a speaker, a person with lived experience of homelessness and human trafficking, a tiny house enthusiast, and a serial foodie. Yeah. Um, today we have Rebecca Eldridge on with us. She is a 36-year-old mother of two children. She is a survivor of sexual abuse, rape, and sex trafficking. She's a regular volunteer with a ministry dedicated to persons with lived experience of homelessness and jail outreach. She is saying yes to sharing her testimony so everyone can be set free. Thank you for joining us today, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we would love to hear more about your story so we can kind of get to know you a little bit. Would you like to to share? Absolutely. Okay, well, it all started when I was 11 years old. I had gotten raped by our neighbor. Um, He was 24 at the time. And I I was friends with his sister. She was 16 and pregnant. And that's how he lured me in his house was that she's needed help, you know. And so I went over there and she wasn't even in the house. And um I ended up being raped and he threatened my life. And so I felt very scared. I felt very afraid that if I told anyone um, that he would kill me because that's what he said. Mm -hmm. And so I kept that um, hidden until I was 18. And but in between that time, I started drinking. I started smoking weed and I started getting into trouble. I started rebelling, uh, getting in fights in school. Um, I was just very um, just misunderstood. I felt very alone at that time. I felt like I couldn't talk to no one. I felt like I was the only one going through something like this. And that um, actually fast forward to um, when I first got married, uh, my first husband, I got married at the age of 20 and um, everything was great. You know, at first, like the first year, it was like, you know, honeymoon season. Um, 
and he said all the right things and um, did all the right things. And then he introduced me. We started smoking weed together. Um, he introduced me to pills and I started doing pills and it started out as just snorting them like hydros, Percocets. And then it went to Roxy's and then it, then that wasn't doing anything anymore. And we were deathly sick. And, um, you know, we, he started like having me steal things from our family. And, um, after we had, I'd stolen everything, um, there wasn't nothing else to steal and no other ways to make money. He proposed that I start selling my body, start selling myself. And he actually hooked me up with a few men. Um, and they, uh, I would have to do business. That's what he called it business, you know, um, and I just, you know, I felt like if I didn't do this, like uh, I wanted him happy. I felt very like pressured. I felt like, well, this is, you know, my husband, you know, like we don't want to be sick. Like I'm, all, I'm not just doing this for me, like for him, like I'm doing this for me. And that's just like the, the confusion, the manipulation, you know, the domination, the intimidation, all that, um, and I, so I, I was like, okay, you know, um, because if I didn't make him happy, then he would yell at me. He was very like ver verbal abusive, um, and things like that. And then, well, it got to the point where he was, he was my pimp. And, um, so it, it really like at that time I felt so less, lesser than a human being. Like I felt absolute garbage and I felt so stuck. I felt like, well, this is just how my life is going to be. This is what my life is supposed to be like. This is, you know, I'm stuck in this. I'm already so far in deep in drug addiction. Like I'm never going to climb out. Yeah. And um, there was many nights that um, I tried to cut myself and I tried to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. And and then, um, well, we ended up moving to Colorado. We had a son together. We ended up moving to Colorado. And in that time of being like in Colorado, we had some money and then all our money like was gone within a couple of weeks. And then um, we ended up being homeless on the street with our son. And then it just went right back to square one. Like I had to support us, you know, in ways that I wasn't, didn't want to, but I felt like, especially now that my son's involved, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'm having to steal stuff for, to get him diapers. I'm having to steal food. I'm having to do this and that and the other just to, you know, keep him afloat. And not only that, but then, um, my, my ex introduced me to meth, methamphetamine, Mm -hmm. And then I started doing meth and started staying up and just trying to hustle because I was having a hustle every day and I was just exhausted. So I was like, you know, let me try this stuff. And then that was just, you know, that was that. 
I ended up losing our son to state's custody four months after we were on the street. Um, mm -hmm. And then after that, I definitely spiraled downhill. Uh, my husband, my ex tried to kill me. Um, he almost succeeded. Uh, you know, he would call me all kinds of names and we would fight every single day. I would walk around the streets with bruises and cuts all over me from where he would beat me up every day. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, and then like I asked God, I said, I just like broke down because I'm living on the street. I just lost my son. We're like living, you know, on the street, like no tent, no nothing. And I just cry out and I'm like, God, like, where are you? Why, why am I going through this? I was blaming God, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and then it was like, he sat me down. Like he, I ended up going to prison and, um, I done prison, was in prison for a year and uh, got clean and everything. But then after I was released out of prison, I relapsed. Right. Two months, two months later, I relapsed mm -hmm. and I ended up going back on meth and ended up, you know, getting into some trouble and things like that. And then I got um, married, my second husband, I uh, got married to him June, June of 2020. He shot himself August, 2020. And oh, then the horrible. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, and we were high on mess that night that he shot himself. And so that, that right there, like I blamed myself for that for so long. And, but praise God that I'm clean now. I'll be clean three years in August. Oh, congratulations. Um, awesome. Yeah. It's, you know, glory be to God. But, um, you know, the sex trafficking, I didn't even realize I was being trafficked. I didn't even know that's what it was until I met with Zona a couple of weeks ago. And she kind of told me her story a little bit. And I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, I told her what I went through. And she's like, you were trafficked. And when I realized that, I was like, oh, my gosh, you're right. I was, you know, and I didn't know what sex trafficking really was. I thought it was like, you know, where they sold you to another country. You know what I mean? But that's um, that's human trafficking. But, man, you know, that's not just sex trafficking. But I didn't realize, you know, that my first husband was trafficking me you know, and, um, until a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So when that came into the light, uh, you know, I've been going around and telling that part of my testimony. Mm -hmm. Like yesterday I was, um, doing the jail ministry and, um, I told the inmates that part of my testimony and, I was telling them what Zona had told me that women don't even realize they're being trafficked and they're being trafficked by someone that they know, someone that, you know, that they love. It's, it could be a mother, dad, brother, uncle, sister, and it don't matter who it is, husband, girlfriend, boyfriend, but it's somebody that you usually know. Yeah. 
And, and so when I told that part of my testimony, oh my gosh, like I felt the Lord like lead me into that. And when I did, a girl came up to me and said, your story is so identical with mine because right now she is actually going through it right now. Like she's in jail, but her children are in foster care and her children are being trafficked. That's so bad. And so that just like broke my heart to mm -hmm. even hear that. But it also like for her to be able to come up to me and share that with me, I just sat down with her and I encouraged her. Um, but my heart goes out to that them women now that, you know, I have been brought into the light of what my situation was like. Um I, I want to help those and I want to share my testimony because like you said in the introduction, I want someone to be set free mm -hmm. and just for them to know that they're not alone, mm -hmm. you know, is very important because the enemy will try to lie to us and he will make us think that we are alone, but we're not. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know when we were talking a little bit earlier, um, I was in a training about uh, trafficking in person's identification. That was the name of the training. And um, I literally realized that I was that person as I was going through the training to help others for others. It wasn't right. for myself. You know, it wasn't this like, Oh, well, I'm going to learn more about me. And you know, it's pretty similar to your story. Like you were just kind of being obedient and sharing and, you know, putting your story out there and then you're like, oh, the actual term for what happened to me is trafficking. And our type of trafficking is what they call familial trafficking because we were trafficked by a family member. And um, it is crazy the number of people that that happens to that they're like, oh, no, it's just it's just family or um, I was just doing it to because we had to cover bills or because, you know, somebody was sick or, you know, somebody needed to have, you know, this or that. It, it's it's amazing. The the stories, the lies, the pressure, the expectation, mm -hmm. it always seems like it's so at first, it's just this, well, you know, it's just this one time or, you know, it, it, you know, it, it's somebody that I trust, right. you know, and you're like, what, you know, and it kind of progresses from there where they do get more violent or more aggressive or mm -hmm. whatever as, as it goes on. And it's almost like the way that they see you switches. So you're no longer really family and suddenly you're a paycheck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're a piece of property. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. That, that transition with somebody that you love, like, I think because of all of the things that are happening to you mentally, emotionally, physically, it's such a hard thing to process. Mm -hmm. Like having someone that you love and that you, you know, that you really believe should have your best interest at heart. And, you know, like you said, there were, there were some really good times there in the beginning that it just, you know, it was such a slow progression to the other that it probably was almost like surreal. 
Yes. And, you know, my family tried to tell me that, you know, there's just something about that boy I don't like. You know, uh, they tried to open my eyes and I would take up for him. You know, I, I shoot my family off to the side and I'm like, you know, he loves me. I love him. We're going to be together, you know, and I was just like taking up for him. And now, you know, I really wish I would have like listened to my family because but, you know, everything happens for a reason. And what the enemy tries to do for evil, God will turn it around for mm -hmm. the good and for his glory and for the purpose of those, you know. Um, so now, you know, even though the things that I went through sucked, you know, and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but God was with me through it all. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even realize it, you know, because there was so many times I tried to die and I tried to kill myself. Um, and, and it, I just was like, Lord, why can't I die? Like, why won't you let me die? Why don't you just let, like, I was so miserable and I would like literally ask God, why don't you just kill me? Like, just kill me. And, and so now that I realize he had a purpose and a plan for me, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, that purpose is to help others. Yeah. For sure. And I think, too, having, you know, the experience that you've had and even like the time that you were in jail, you can go and do this jail ministry and you can actually speak to real things that they're facing in real time, you know, and you might be the only person that's ever actually told them what they experienced. Yeah. Right. Or given them a way to put it into words because, um, while a lot of people know about trafficking, they know about it like a buzzword. They're like, oh, yeah, trafficking is bad. And you're like, well, what is trafficking? And they're like, I don't know. There's this movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Know, like what you were saying earlier, it really is like that, that idea of taken. So, you know, 75% of trafficking that is happening in the United States is happening by a friend, a family member, somebody that's close to you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not these people far away. It's not these people that are strangers that are stranger danger. And that's the part that's so hard to wrap your head around. Right. You know, you would think like your family, mm -hmm. like that's your family. You would never think that um, especially if it's blood or even, you know, someone you marry that would, that took vows to take care of you mm -hmm. and, and, you know, to honor you, to cherish you, to respect you would even think about doing something like that to mm -hmm. you. So, you know, um, but I've forgiven him, you know, and it's that, that was hard. I'm not going to lie. So that was real hard, <laughs> but you know, um, with Christ, I can do all things. So, but, um, I have forgiven him. Praise That's God. Amazing. That is, and, and it, you know, you get a real healing, mm -hmm. you know, your own healing through that forgiveness. So. Yes. It's not for him. It's for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
Yeah, because I, I'm not, you know, letting, like, I'm not going to hold on to that anymore. That's God's, you know, God paid a price for that. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for that. Mm-hmm. And and the Bible said the Lord's is, you know, the vengeance is the Lord's. Like he's a justiful, he, he loves to do justice, but mm-hmm. we have to give him that, you know, we have to let it go and lay it down at his feet. And, and um, it took me years and years, uh, but I finally did it. Yeah. <laughs> How long were you with um, your first husband? We had got married in 2008 and we were together s- till 2016. I, I thought I was never going to have a decent life. This podcast is brought to you by the generous supporters of bringfreedom.org. You can make a tax deductible donation on the website or on Venmo at Bring Freedom. These donations go to support the persons with lived experience who bravely share their stories here and also toward the creation of resources to end human trafficking in your community. You shared your story about what happened when you were a kid and 11. I mean, you're not even, you're not even barely into puberty. 11 so you're you're very much a child mm-hmm. and um you know I know you're not a psychiatrist or whatever but would you say that between that experience and just you know just the hardship of growing up you know uh, would you say that that pushed you into the substance abuse and in the extra, I say the edgy rebellion, because it's, you know, with the substance abuse and and probably a lot that goes into that. Absolutely. Because I wanted to forget what happened. I tried so hard to forget what happened. Right. And, and, you know, that's what drugs do. It helps you to forget for that moment. But then, you know, when you wake up and you sober up, you remember all over again. And then you uh, it just adds on more shame, more guilt, more condemnation, because now you've used and you're like, oh, gosh. So you're trying to cover up that on top of what happened to you. And then you're trying to hide it from your parents. You're trying to, you know, I used to steal alcohol from my mom and water it down. You know, she never knew none of her. But. You know, and it's it's because I was trying to cope, you know, cope with what happened to me as such a young age. I didn't even get a childhood. You know, that was, you know, um, took from me, you know. So um, and I didn't really understand why it happened. I asked him why. And he gave me the answer. Um because he wanted to. Hmm. That was his answer. But um, I, I, I was so afraid because, I mean, he threatened my life. And we mm-hmm. lived four houses away from him. Mm-hmm. For, for 16 years, we lived just right down the street from him. You know, so it was, uh, that's why I didn't tell anyone until I turned 18. And then I told my dad. 
Wow. Then what happened? He took me to the police station. Okay. Were the did they let you file a police report or? They did, but there was nothing they could do because there was no evidence. Yeah. Right. He says it was, yeah, he says it was consensual, but it, it wasn't. You're 11. Like, consensual at 11 years uh -uh. old. That's right. 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 And you're 24, you know, like you're an adult. Yeah. <laughs> he, admitted, yeah. he admitted that he did that. Yeah, so that is illegal. That's great. Yeah. Um, but I I held on to that for many years. I thought you know mm -hmm. it was my fault. I thought that you know, like if I would have just if this would have just happened, then that would have never happened. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I went through that like mental torment for many, 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 many years. Like I actually just forgave him. I actually seen him in person uh, when I got saved. Uh, we had our, um, the sermon was actually on forgiveness. And that night I went to Domino's pizza to get a pizza. It was on Christmas Eve, almost two years ago. And he was there working. And I was shaking from head to toe. Like I could literally feel my organs shaking because I was that like scared and nervous. And I could hear the Lord say, this is your chance to forgive this man. Wow. And so I could not leave there until I forgave him. And I looked at him and I said his name. And I said, you may not remember me. He said, no, I remember who you are. And I said, what well, I just want to say that I forgive you for what you did. And I walked out and his jaw dropped to the floor and I walked out. And when I walked out, I hit my knees and I was just screaming and crying and, you know, all that stuff. Cause that was hard. Yeah, that was hard. That was the first time I seen that man, but I knew exactly who he was and I hadn't seen him in 25 plus years, you know, and I knew exactly who he was and he knew who I was. Mm -hmm. And so, but the Lord gave me that moment to forgive him in person because I had held on to so much pain. Mm -hmm. And from that, so praise God that he gave me that opportunity. Right. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. <laughs> That's a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And, it is. And it really, uh, it makes me think of that, you know, the beauty from ashes. Yes. And when you, you know, you feel like your life is just in a dust heap, you know, just ash, just nothing alive. And then, you know, hope mm -hmm. brings a new, new growth, new life, new purpose, like you said. And, uh, Absolutely. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. I know. <laughs> God is so good, man. You know, he does give beauty for ashes. The last thing I just wanted to ask about. So in Florida, there's a law that allows um, people that have crimes on their record 
um, not violent crimes, but crimes on their record, like what you were talking about, um, to get their record expunged that happened while they were being trafficked. Um, I'm curious, do you know if there's something like that where you live? I have no idea, but since you said it, I'm going to be looking into it because I got so many charges when that was going on from like theft and drugs, Mm -hmm. um, nothing violent, praise God, you know, uh, but there was, you know, I do have a rap sheet. Yeah, I could probably get that expunged too. I don't know. <laughs> God, we serve a big God. So, you know, like he can make a way. Yeah. Well, I think it's cool to see the progression because, you know, even when this stuff was happening to you, even in that time frame, it still was a lot of victim shaming. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, and a lot of, well, you got yourself into this mess, so you got to get yourself out yeah kind of a thing. Like, that's that was still really the mentality yeah. until yeah. long ago. Like, that whole, you know, even boys will be boys or whatever mm-hmm. or, you know. So just having that progression from, you know, that much and that level of victim shaming. And it really speaks to in the middle of that time frame where victim shaming was very common that your dad went with you to press charges against that guy. Absolutely. My dad has been, has had my back through it all. That's really cool. My dad knew when I was using, um, you know, I've stolen things from my dad and he knows it, but Mm -hmm. my dad, you know, he would get angry or whatever, but, he never one one time left me or forsaken me. He always had my back. And, you know, that I love him for that, you know. And behind the scenes, he was praying, God, do whatever it takes to save my daughter, you know. And now he's seeing the fruition of his prayers. Yeah. I bet he's <laughs> And now I'm the one preaching to him, so... <laughs> That's, That's, so good. That's <laughs> so good. Well, we have loved having you on. Yeah. It is so encouraging to hear your story. Yes. And I how, love bold how bold you are. Um, just a couple of weeks after finding this out, you're like, I got to do something. And- yes, absolutely. Like, and it's, we don't realize how, important our testimony is mm-hmm. you know Re- revelation twelve eleven says you overcome him which is the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony it's very important and you know the enemy will try to silence you he silenced me for years mm-hmm. but praise god now he can't <laughs> we got authority amen but um when before Christ, I call it my BC days, um, <laughs> he would silence me and I felt like I had a muzzle on my mouth. Like I just couldn't tell nobody nothing. I felt very, I was very passive. I was, you know, like I felt like if I communicated, you know, something in the wrong way that, you know, someone would go off on me. And that was just like, you know, nothing but the enemy, but now, praise God, I know, I know <laughs> that you can overcome him by, you know, just speaking out. 
Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Rebecca. It's been a delight. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Persons with Lived Experience podcast today. I hope you're enjoying season two of these inspiring stories for unprecedented times. Please share this episode with your community so that we can make more ripples to create waves of change. Thank you.